JFF Jeffersonville and W233AH Monticello coming up on 8 p.m. And it's time for Trailer Talk. Stay tuned. Support comes from Sullivan NY Connects, offering information and assistance regarding long-term services and supports for people of all ages or with any type of disability. nyconnects.ny.gov Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline travel trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. The great George Clinton. Uh, he was the master, and he still is the master. Ain't nothing but a party, y'all. Let's get it on. I got love for you, Dr. Funkenstein, and uh, we got some rump to bump. The incredible crossover that how could a 14 or 15-year-old white kid from a suburb in California with super conservative Republican parents, here I am in my bedroom blasting P-Funk and, you know, just really, you know, getting that whole groove on it. Are you with me out there? It just blew your mind, but it was also a whole lot of fun. He's a slam poet, number one, and he's a humble poet. George Clinton tours throughout the year and brings his groove and funk to cities large and small throughout the world. George Clinton has had deep roots in the music industry for five decades, with a diverse following and many signature songs including Flashlight, Atomic Dog, One Nation Under a Groove, and Cosmic Slop. Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1997. George Clinton came on the music scene in the 1950s with The Parliaments, a doo-wop soul vocal group who had a national hit with I Wanna Testify in He is one of the most sampled artists of all time. His songs have been covered by De La Soul, Run DMC, and Coolio, among others. George Clinton has worked with numerous musicians, including Prince and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Clinton's music has gone through many incarnations, and his band names have changed. The Parliaments, Parliament, Funkadelic, America's first black rock band, P-Funk, The Funkensteins, P-Funk All-Stars, and Parliament Funkadelic. Everyone seems to have a story about George Clinton and his music. At a concert, one can expect to see 30 amazing performers grooving and playing characters on stage in costumes. It's funk, theatrical rock, a circus event, a spectacular spectacle. An event that takes hold of the imagination while remaining innovative, 
celebratory and political. I want you to know that the mothership has landed. It was with great excitement that I spoke with George Clinton in his dressing room after the show. George, how do you do it? Oh, I got Funk Viagra. <laughs> Here we go. Hardcore Funk. <laughs> the more you do it, the harder it gets. <laughs> so how is it doing this music right now, where we are in the world today, and the state that America finds itself in? It makes you have to do it harder, too. Right now, it's almost like 68. It's so close to um, something that you don't want to come face to face with. and. And dress. Yeah. I'm undressed too. <laughs> um, it makes it real worthwhile doing, you know. You know, you don't want to get too preachy, but it's scary right through here, you know. So it's, um, it's try to stimulate uh, people to think: what if this is missing? What if we're not able to do this anymore? Well, what's incredible is being in the audience and hearing and watching you do really a cover of your own song and to see how it's changed and uh you know this this dialogue and and to feel how it's kind of passed through time to where we are now it feels good too it feels right and i mean i started looks on people's faces probably someone was um teenagers back in 68 when we went through this before so um they kind of feel once again damn maybe we end up be too quick to jump to conclusions about right and wrong right through here because i'd hate to have something happen really catastrophe like um 9-11 again right now where people like they are right now they would really be convinced that we are right you know and i'm pretty sure we're wrong because we're not trying to find out nothing about who did whatever it's, it's blatant now too and uh but it's so easy to convince us right now that we're right if something happened accidental or if somebody just retaliate right now yeah, we're, I mean, we're in an incredibly precarious time. How are you finding that your music is changing because of where we are right now? Well, I try not to be reactionary, and I try not to think about it, let it just let it happen, whatever happens, because if you think out loud, you know, you may be tempted to get mad, and if you get mad, you do the same thing that's being done already. But if you don't think about it, it's apathy, and it'll still go on, so, but I trust the one, I trust, you know, whatever this funk come from, I trust that, I've always trusted it, never follow no causes or nothing openly, I just let it, you know, wherever it take us, and um, it feels right, I can trust the funk, it's the, it's the force. So the funk is the force, so funk... DNA for hip-hop, too. I mean, you are the the father and the grandfather of spoken word, performance, you're interacting with the audience, you're doing the hip-hop, you're doing rap, you have such a kind of chaos that's unified, you have such a diversity of people. Where do you find the people you work with? I know you've worked with many of them for years. They find me, all I do is look up and they're in the group. I don't know where they come from. So uh, no auditions? Mm, very few. They just wiggle their way in and... And that's the end of the end of crew. <laughs> and that's the end of their career? Is that what you just said? The beginning, that's the beginning, and they end right there. They stay there. I'm wondering how the reason you do what you do has changed from, you've mentioned, 1968 to now. The reason? The reason's always been the same, because I like it. And uh, it's friendly to me. 
And the reason is that it's um, still good to me. And um, I got to have a job, so I might as well do something I like doing. Malia Franklin, also known as the Queen of Funk, was born and raised in Detroit. She met George Clinton there when she was 14 years old, backstage at the Masonic Temple when his band, The Parliaments, was playing a sorority concert there. She was signed to Thang Productions and has had an ongoing relationship with George Clinton and the P-Funk family for 35 years. She was part of the original Brides of Funkenstein group and introduced George to Bootsy Collins. I spoke to Malia Franklin from her home in Los Angeles. What is it about George's music that has kept you interested all of these years, 35 plus years, and other people? We come to funk because it's, as uh, we say, it's forever coming and never going. Our funk is unconditional. Our associations throughout the years are unconditional with all the ups and downs and smiles and frowns, uh, unfunky computers and everything else. But uh, we got some rump to bump. And you've said it's gone through many incarnations, but that funk is forever. Yes. So that it's a concept that runs deep. Very, very deep. The uh, whole thing of uh, hypno-functation, as I call it, the fascination, you know, it's a chanting, wooing, uh, pimping of the pleasure principle type thing that just, it, it grabs you. The, it grabs the audience. It grabs those of us on stage. It even grabs GC himself. <laughs> He's so funky. You know what I'm saying? He can't smell himself. You know? So what is it that you think uh, draws such a diverse crowd after all these years to the music that he has been making? Uh, it's real, it's raw, it's uncut, and that's the way we make it. And anything that is the truth will always prevail. And what about this idea of one nation? Uh, that's really what it's about, and I think that if, you know, if you even just uh, are aware of uh, what's happening, you know, in the world today and, and politically, we were light years ahead when that message was sent out, and that's basically where we're at today. You know, we all have to be one nation, one love, and one people. And what would you say his influence has been on music? Well, I think that... Uh, if uh, you're into any hip-hop at all, you you would uh, definitely be aware that hip-hop was, was built on the backs, you know, of uh, funk music and, and George and Bootsy and a lot of the empires and, and different things that came up under us and opened up for us and just that whole vibe. And like I said, the truth always prevails. And any time uh, the truth can prevail in a sample... You know, when it's supposed to not even be like that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it was, you know, that's why the clones, we were designed. And even though it wasn't designed uh, for it to come back around again and bring us all the way to the forefront, that's exactly what happened with uh, the merging of, of sampling and, and funk and the whole hip-hop thing. And I'm sure that... Uh, just the whole college circuit with the alternative thing, as you can see, it's even broader than hip-hop now. I, I like to almost think of it like being the black Grateful Dead. What sort of influence has it had on your career as a musician? I guess I was uh, 
so influenced by design and such a clone of Dr. Funkenstein that I went into my own lab and uh, came up uh, with my own theory as to my career because George has always had this thought of characters last longer than people's. <laughs> so I came up with the concept of the Queen of Funk, the Princess Warrior, and uh, sort of being that, that ambassador or vessel that uh, helped to coordinate uh, our flag, <laughs> being the One Nation flag, like uh, bringing people into the kitchen like Bootsy and Walter Jr. Morrison, Donnie Sterling, um, Jerome Rogers, uh, the list goes on and on with uh, me being a vessel with uh, helping to build that sound and also be someone who participated in that sound as well uh, vocally. Uh, being with Parlette, one of the first girl spinoff groups, and uh, participating with the Brides on albums, and then eventually uh, 1981 Greatest Funk on Earth tour, where I sort of sort of uh, made up the whole Queen of Funk thing, <laughs> the P U S S M E Y Funk from a female perspective. <laughs> Molly, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to say about George Clinton and the music? that uh, I got love for you, Dr. Funkenstein, and uh, we will always blow the cobwebs out their mind, and I'm glad to be an extension. I'm uh, happy to be a house, one of the houses in that mansion. Musician Clip Payne met George Clinton on the streets of Detroit when he was a teenager. He has been involved with George Clinton in his many incarnations for decades. I spoke with Clip Payne backstage at the Paramount Theater after their show. How long have you been working with George? I've been with P-Funk for 26 years. And you're the voice. I mean, you are the voice behind it all. Sometimes the voice is the primary thing that we're listening to. I mean, you are making sounds, you're speaking, you're doing spoken word. Um, I'm just wondering if you could uh, talk about how that evolved. Uh, it's positive nuisance. I, th I think that I always liked uh, the parole of George Clinton. So when I was a kid... Uh, I noticed that a lot of things that he had to say affected people who were like, you know, not of the, of uh, it wasn't the regular cats. He, he pretty much reached, uh, uh, I don't want to sound crazy, but he's kind of Christ-like to people. Uh, like he's making, uh, he's always made careers for people who would have never considered being in rock and roll, you know. And How did the two of you meet? Um, actually, I was in a street gang in Detroit, and uh, I was frolicking around the streets, and uh, I saw him. He saw me, and I'm not going to say how he saw me, but he, he saw me, and he said, uh, you know, you, you must be crazy out here. And maybe you should, uh, he said, I'm going to bring you with me, and I became his ride, and uh that turned into a valet job and then a drum tech and a, a valet job again and then some role management. And before I knew it, he said, okay, today you're in the band. And 
Well, he was talking about how uh, people find him and he finds them, and really it's, it's uh, people who need to be working together, and that's really the energy of, of the band, and that's really so much of the depth of the enjoyment of being part of the audience is seeing this group of people that are very disparate in some ways and extremely cohesive in others. He has a saying uh, where he, he, uh, he says that the ones who are the ones know when they are the ones not that they know that they are the ones they know when they are the ones so, you know everybody all most funkadelics will reach funkadelic in time you know so uh, when i got there i guess it was my time and, and you know uh, it's something i've done since i've been in my teens and it's just kind of crazy because i i i learned to music listening to like Motown records and that kind of thing. But uh, when George and, and P-Funk showed up on the scene, I liked the fact that my parents were like in complete shock, you know, and, but they always dressed up, bought tickets and got us babysitters. And uh, some kind of way, uh, I, I always imagined being there. Uh, and, and then finding P-Funk was only by, by chance and not even, you know, I didn't even venture um, I didn't even make a move to be in the band. I just be, became one of the ones. You became one of the ones. And, and how do you create the words that you speak and the music that you sing in the band? Actually, I get a combination of probably words from like lots of different funkadelics. I, I, I'm like uh, maybe uh, one of the biggest fans in the band. And so I'm a fan of of any kind of strong uh, literature and sometimes you know it's silly but they say some profound things uh, and George is good for saying it and like today uh, we had to remind him just for the times like certain lyrics that he's written that are just perfect for the day you know and he's going oh yeah you know and I know that uh, he's like you know he's that poet dude who, he's a slam poet number one and He's a humble poet, so he wouldn't even think to, to repeat some of the things that he's written because he don't think that they're strong enough. Uh, he's always building that way, so I think he has a lot of the, a lot of the band members are like people who can can gauge what he says and you know uh, mirror back to him when he's in a uh, in a good uh, when he's on a road, you know, and he's always on a road. What do you think is important about making music? For me, what's important about making music is is that uh, people always need something new to to inspire them. And for the, for all of us who are music makers, you know, uh, hopefully we can can live up to the zen that it is. Yeah, we have the saying that funk is what it needs to be at in, in its time. So. Uh, I'll pull from a, a, a Roger Hammerstein lyric if I have to, you know, to to make this all make sense. Uh, we've always done that. We'll go to television commercials or, or different kinds of slogans that are like the slogans of the day and try to flip them. You know, it's a weird out thing, but with a different angle. So. <laughs> Actually, George, do you want to uh, do any of your spoken word for us here on the radio? 
They call me lethal lip, the linguistic, full metal jacket of vernacular ballistic. Shooting off at the mouth without chapel ballistic. Hairs on my funk and I didn't flunk diaper rash. I'm verbally toxic. Metal piercing, forked and hollow point tongue. Dum-dums, power shot from Gatlin gums. Hooked on phonics, packing a vicious vocabulary. Malicious with malice and mayhem. A dictionary. Give me the mic and I'll slay them lame, illiterate, poetic sissies. Pisses me off. Miss me with that I'll stick a vernacular foot so far up in your ass. The water on my knee will rise and ebb above your head. And you drown of a poetic ass kicking. Leaving lyrical lacerations on your lungs from a verbal hangnail that hung on my big toe. As I flow up with kicking in your, in your eardrum, want to hear some? Tap dance on your tonsils, leaving kiwis you polishing on your breath. A cavity in your best rhyme and an abscess on the rest. They call me the proverbial verbal menacing dentist with the drill and lyrical skills. I can perform all root canals. It's unwise with me. I kick your wisdom teeth down your throat, leaving you to choke on well-rehearsed, unspoken vocals, tied out in your vocal cord. Plug your windpipe tight with toe jam and your hemorrhoids. I'm your local grave digger on a vocal hairpin trigger, and the sure can is delicious, quicker than you figure, too quick to quench the fire. My biggest funeral pile, build and filled with fools desiring open combat. They choke and jump back. Now they wonder how to f- I've done that. Too late, you got room for improvement. You want to stop, drop, go over the top. Bob, strain your voice, no choice. Come back one more time to win against the veteran. The better than many, than plenty, than any. Fuck you, here's the cemetery. Where they line up all the graves of those that tried this. No breaks. A Pontius Pierce, near me your ears. I'm the madman at the helm, the one that steers this vessel of vocals. Watch out, it's getting choppy. I ride the rough out in a way you can't copy. Look and see if the shark's just taking a bite out of my hole. They always do, and I feel the gale pull me into battle. Maybe I said something really too clever right there off the top of my head. They take it and tape it before I can say, this is the property of the P. Minds by design. Each and every line relies on the rewind. You better pray to the heaven and earth, because I'm going to scorch your monkey ass with the next verse. A rhythm and rhyme, rhythm and motherfucking rhymes. George. Did you begin by writing verse and then move into the music? Well, not like, quite like that, but uh, lyrics, lyrics, yeah. So you began with the lyrics and... Uh... Back in the school days, it was what they call dissing now. We used to call it playing the dozens. And it's the, the art is um, it's seeing how in each other's face you can give it lyrics and not have to fight. The one that gets mad first is the loser. Hip-hop is not a, a aggressive as it sounds. It's the exact opposite. One that lo- the one that gets mad first is the loser, not the winner. Well, your work is so much about language, really. Yeah, I like messing words up. To me, like with bad words, my new thing with bad words, the only way to make bad words, to get rid of bad words, is to make them good again. They wasn't bad in the beginning, and only a certain way of thinking made them bad. Well, that's kind of, yeah, like reclaiming certain words that have been used to hurt people. Anything that turns bad, all you do is have a change, change your mind, and you can change it. You know, people, I think they kind of like having weapons, you know, because you can use words. If weapon, all you do is, is um, dodge them, don't say them. They become bad at worse and worse and worse. The more you don't say them, the more somebody can use them as a weapon. But if you say them, it's just like a hit record. They get obsolete, they get over, overused, and they're not bad anymore. It comes corny. Well, the thing that was so intriguing to me about being part of the audience is that there is a real improvisation going on and because things are very much in the moment 
there is there was a way for me to participate. That's what, that's what the, all audiences have effect on whatever we're doing. I had to go out there and look at the audience tonight, and that was like a, a different kind of crowd there tonight. You know. So how, how was this crowd different? And you did jump right into the audience. Yeah, I had to like get them. I couldn't let them sit there and analyze us. You know, they get to analyze, and you know, they, they have too much time on their hands. So it's about baffling them and let the ones that really enjoy it let them see somebody else enjoying it. And then all of a sudden you feel old if you can't let go. You don't pay your money to get in there, and, you know, and just have it's just fun. And then as soon as they get loose a little bit, then you take them someplace else and you start doing the spoken words that sound like you may be saying something deep, and then some of it has got a little something in it, so you don't never know what we're doing. But it's all fun, and it's all made you, you know makes you think. And then you have clip. Clip Payne in the back also as the language man and as, as a real monologue. All the stuff I used to do. So it's like, it ain't trying to be deep, or they trying, but it feels good. It's got church vibe in it. It's got the current hip-hop vibe in it. Got some, some really can sing up there, you know, some of the girls. Oh, yeah. so, you know, they really be singing. And what Do you rehearse with, with the band before you go on tour? Hell no. So it's a kind of improvisation, really, on stage. You know, they'll, they'll try to rehearse. They'll, they'll rehearse one song here and there and there and there. Uh, and then some, some nights I just call out something that I start doing something that they ain't done in years or never done, and, and they'd be surprised if they know it. I counted about 14. Was it 14 people on stage at one point? 17. 17, because there are people going back and forth on and off stage. Actually, it's like 28 people all together, but you never get to see them all at once. Only if we do Cosmic Slop, they'll all come out there at the end of that song. We didn't do it tonight, though. Like I said, you had um, a senior crowd there tonight. Uh, you thought uh, the crowd tonight was a little slow? Is that what it was? No, no, they was that, just sitting there enjoying it, you know. It seemed like they intellectually, and, you know, we didn't want to be too loud for them. And we didn't want to go too fast, so we had to, like, do some song that actually they could sit there and applaud because they were, it was like they were the type to go see plays. Oh, well, I know I was dancing, and, and the rows all around me were, were dancing. Well, when they got to Atomic Dog, all your defenses come down. Yeah, this is a story of famous dog. But the dog that chases its tail will be busy. These are clapping dogs, rhythmic dogs, harmonic dogs, house dogs, street dogs. Dogs of the world unite, dancing dogs. Dogs. Nasty dogs. Oh, 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 oh
George, how many years have you been doing this? Forty-something. The day before yesterday. So what sort of advice could you give a musician today? Bend over. <laughs> Bend over. It's a hard, hard business. If you like it, it's easy. If you like what you're doing, it's easy. If you can learn to like it, it's easy. If not, just keep it as a hobby. Well, you're making all of us feel good by doing what you do and bringing the people together that you have brought together. I like doing it to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Roof. There's a booty and how will I know if I'm shaking it bend over. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Edited by Raul Vincent Enriquez. And special thanks to Shauna Hall. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artell. Safe travels. Duke Ellington made his debut at Carnegie Hall with a 45-minute-long musical panorama of African-American history. I'm David Brent Johnson, inviting you to join me, Ellington biographer Harvey Cohen, and Wynton Marcellus for Black, Brown, and Beige, Duke Ellington's historic jazz symphony, this week on Nightlights. Monday at 12 noon on WJFF. Claude Monet loved his gardens at Giverny. So here was a garden of great beauty that nourished him, inspired him. A fixer-upper off the coast of Brittany can be a lot more than just a second home. This island allowed us to sort of construct a full life around the wildness that's inside of us. And Americans find romance in Italy. The first time we went out, we had a dictionary between us on the table. On the next Travel with Rick Steves. <laughs> <laughs>